Matthew, the ninth chapter. Thank you, Archie and Tommy and you for singing. I can hear you up here this morning. We don't always get it right, but one thing I, uh, I can say, generally speaking, you may not like every song that is sung here. I don't. Okay, um, just—I mean, that's just human nature. Uh, you don't like some songs. Um, they, um, Wayne mentioned one the other week that I can't stand, and I think ever since he said it, I've heard that stupid song ten times a day. Uh, and I told him I was going to kill him. Uh, he's, you know how your phones and stuff listen to you? It seems like, and uh, so it seems like my phone heard him say that, and. It is the most morbid, depressing song on the planet. Um, and so, but I, I don't like them all. Uh, but one thing I will say, uh, that to my knowledge, uh, pretty much everything that's sung here, you don't have to wonder who we're singing about. Uh, I like that kind of music. Um, as, long as, as long as I know you're singing about Jesus, and I challenge those of you that sing uh, specials and solos and duets and trios and quartets and whatever five of you are, uh, and the choir, anybody else, make sure that that's your measuring stick. Make sure uh, that when you sing it, I don't have to sit there and go, now is that a love song for their boyfriend or do they love Jesus? Um, that, that's my measuring stick for good music. I want to know you're singing about Jesus. Uh, I remember one that, I, I, you know, I knew they loved somebody, but I didn't know who. Um, and so thankfully I haven't heard that song in a while. Uh, but I like to know you're singing about Jesus. And so uh, if you didn't get that this morning, um, you wasn't paying attention. That's all I know to tell you. Matthew chapter 9. I'm done, I'll get off my soapbox. I can get on another soapbox. Matthew chapter 9. I have mentioned... Uh, several times uh, I, I would hear myself say it, and, and when I would say it, uh, I would think, I wonder if, they, if people know what I mean by that statement. And that is the statement uh, that we need to, in this day, uh, we need to live like missionaries. We need to live like missionaries. Uh, let me encourage you while I'm there. Uh, it's, uh, it's a relatively inexpensive book as books go. Uh, there is a book by that title, Live Like a Missionary. Uh, it is written by Jeff Org, uh, I-O-R-G. Uh, and he is the president of Golden Gate Seminary. And he is also, uh, which is our Southern Baptist Seminary uh, out on the left coast, and he is also the chaplain for the San Francisco Giants baseball team. Uh, and so he has taken uh, a lot of his experience in, in every area, but in particular, I think, uh, in dealing with uh, the baseball team uh, about what it means to live like a missionary. Uh, I, I don't know if you've watched a baseball game lately, but uh, again, most of the most of the folks are. Uh, it seems like uh, most of the players are not from around here, uh, and. Uh, and so when he goes into their locker room, uh, it's, um, it's being a missionary. Well, what we have to understand and what I mean by that statement and what, uh, what that statement means is we don't live, hear me, we don't live in a Christian society anymore. Would you agree with that statement? 
We do not live, we are in a post-Christian society. We don't live in a Christian society. When you go out into your neighborhood, when you go out to the grocery store, when you go to work, you are on a mission field. You, just as sure, uh, it may look different. You may not be under necessarily the physical threat uh, that some of our missionaries are under uh, in some of these third world countries where uh, they're not even uh, allowed to, to tell that they are a missionary. Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to, uh, we have a missionary home. Uh, from Pakistan, uh, and he's coming in a few weeks uh, and uh, tell his uh, tell a little bit of his work. Uh, it may not be like being in Pakistan. Uh, you may not be risking getting your head cut off, but you're on the mission field. And so we need to begin to think not like uh, church people and and Christians going out into a Christian society. We need to to think and to live like missionaries uh, who are going out onto the field. Uh, that's the mindset we need to have. When you, did, I, in fact, I, I've been in churches anymore uh, where over the doors back there that there would be a, a sign that said, "You are now entering the mission field." Uh, when you go out of the doors of this building, you're entering the mission field. When you go to the restaurant today for lunch, you're on the mission field. When you go home in your neighborhood, you are on the mission field. We need to think live and act like missionaries. And my original one is, uh, again, every time I would say that, uh, I would hear myself say that over the last month or two as we wrapped up John. I think, I need to explain that better. And my original thought that uh, that was on my mind was I was going to preach uh, actually a, a series of messages on the various... Um, aspects uh, of, of what that meant. And you may hear it again. I, I may still. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what, what exactly God's uh, got in His mind here. I'm, uh, I, 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 know, I know preachers that plan their preaching a year ahead of time, and to them I say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, proud of you. That's not typically uh, my system. Uh, but uh, God led me to a passage this morning uh, at the end of Matthew chapter 9 uh, that I think in the life of Jesus largely uh, shows us a broad picture uh, of what it means to live with a missions mindset. To live like a missionary. And there's four things, uh, maybe five, but I'm only going to use four of them here. Uh, that uh, there's probably a bunch more, to be honest. This text is rich. Uh, the more I, uh, the more I studied and prepared, the more I, uh, I kept digging out other little things that uh, that um, uh, that stood out to me as God uh, spoke to me. But there's four things here uh, that I want you to see, and they're not necessarily uh, in any order, uh, but four uh, characteristics or four, uh, four things that it means uh, to live uh, like a missionary. Uh, if you read chapter 9, Jesus has been doing uh, a, a lot of work. This is kind of in the uh, in the heyday, uh, the high point uh, of his earthly ministry. We get down uh, to verse uh, 35, and it says, Jesus went in all the cities and villages, teaching 
in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction. Uh, honestly, that verse alone, uh, I could probably preach for the next month. Uh, because there is so much there uh, that we need to see if we're going to live like missionaries, if we're going to be on the mission field. And the first thing, uh, that if I want to uh, just kind of sum it up, uh, is notice the message delivered. Verse 35 uh, says, He went throughout all the cities, teaching and proclaiming the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel. Do you hear me? Proclaiming the gospel. I want to tell you something. I, I, I have not been a missionary. God has not called me there. Uh, and I have not been, you know, on the mission field overseas in, in, in that way. Um, but here's what I do know uh, from dealing and working with uh, missionaries. Uh, we have a, uh, a fellow who's moved back here. He's home now uh, who spent years in Thailand. And he and I talk. Uh, I, I, I know quite a few people who have. And here's what I know about missionaries. When they go on the field, they have one priority, the gospel. They don't spend time, you know, there has never been a missionary who spent one moment of his time on the field bickering over what type of music to sing or bickering over which Bible translation to use or what kind of Sunday school book they were going to order. Missionaries, effective missionaries, are singular focused on preaching the gospel. That, that is their message. Listen, the church for too long has been busy, has been focused on inviting people to church. Now, I'm not telling you don't invite people to church. In fact, I'm encouraging you to invite people to church. I'm not telling you that, that a lot of things are not important. But there, what we have to understand is the difference in the important and the urgent. And the urgent is the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice, uh, just kind of walk through this passage. I want you to leave your Bible. I hope you left your Bible open this morning. If you hadn't got it open, open it. If you hadn't got it with you, uh, go get it. Bring it with you next week. Whatever. Uh, lean over and look over somebody's shoulder that does. Don't come. You know, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Some of y'all know this, some of you don't. Pretty much if I got on my pants, I have on my pistol. Okay? My pistol is loaded, and there's one in the chamber. You know, I don't want to have to take time to load my... I don't have to take time to go get my gun. I don't have to take time to load my gun. I don't even want to have to take time to slide and put a, one in the chamber. If somebody's messing with my wife, children, me, I want to be, I, I, I want to be armed... My gun doesn't have a safety on it. I don't even know. You know I ain't got a safety either. I'm going to be able to pull a trigger. If you're going to come to church, bring your weapon. Okay? That's free. All right, now, look what he says here in this passage. It says, first of all, it says, Jesus went out, or he went throughout the cities and the villages. Jesus went out and preached the gospel. We're going to take this statement. This statement is, is, is hugely important. And we're going to take it almost word for word. So bear with me. This is the bulk uh, of my message this morning. Is this one statement. He went out. 
through all the cities and the villages preaching the gospel. Jesus did not set up under a shade tree and say, if y'all want to hear the gospel, come here. He went out and he went to the cities and the villages. In other words, he left no stone unturned. Cities and villages represent pretty much every uh, category of living in their time. Cities and villages. He went out. He went with the gospel. He went out with the gospel. He went to the cities and the villages. He went where they were. He listened. We have to understand, if we're going to think like a missionary, if we're going to live like a missionary, we, listen, I don't know, Lane, do me a favor, open that door for a minute, let me look out. Yeah, that's what I thought, there's not a line. I was pretty sure there wasn't, but I just want to check and make sure. There's not a line. None of you had to fight for a seat this morning. You didn't get trampled on the way in here. Probably not going to happen, and it's probably going to get worse based on Scripture as time goes on. Okay? I'd like to tell you all about great big full churches, but I'm telling you, according to Scripture, as the longer the days go, the more man falls away. There's not a line out front, and there's not a, I, I don't know, I know pretty much every Baptist pastor in town. And none of them are struggling. You, know, you ask them about their church, you know, they got a lot of things going on, but none of them are going, hey, can we buy some chairs? Because it's not a real issue. So Jesus went out to where they were. Oh, now, let me be careful and add, you see plenty of times when Jesus taught in the temple as well. I'm not, I'm not saying get rid of the church. Don't, don't misread what I'm saying. I'm telling you, if all we do is church, we're not living like missionaries. Missionaries, oh, they have church services. They have worship time. But that is a minimum part of what they do. They go out into the highways and hedges. I think I read that somewhere. If we're going to live like a missionary, we've got to go. When we meet them in the grocery store, when we meet them walking down the street, in the workplace, wherever we go, in the doctor's office, the waitress at our table at lunch, wherever we go, the co-worker, the, the, the family member at the family gathering, we have to preach the gospel while we go. That's living like a missionary. But notice that it says he went out into the cities and, and the villages. He went out. And, and if you go and you look, and, uh, and this passage says the cities and, and the villages. But if you look just in the book of Matthew, it says in chapter 5, he went to the countryside. Uh, he went into the synagogues. He preached in boats. He preached by the seashore. He preached in homes. Go through the book of Matthew and look at all the places you see Jesus preaching. He went out. If we're going to live like missionaries, we can't wait. Let me tell you what else he did. He didn't just go out, but he sent other people out. He sent his disciples out. 
In other words, we can't just wait on the preacher or a few people to do it. We can't expect it to happen in the church. If we're going to live like missionaries, if we're going to make a difference in our community, we're going to have to go out. Larry, because I know you're not bashful. You just told us you don't mind speaking. How many people in a week do you think you invite to church? How many of what percentage do you think actually show up? Pretty small percentage, don't one out of ten. Listen, inviting people to church is great. Inviting them to Jesus is life changing. We need to go out. It's what Jesus did. Invite them. Look what it, not only does it say that he went out, but it says as we look, not only he went out, but he went into all the cities. He went into the synagogues. He went wherever people were gathered. He went wherever they were. That's where he went. Listen, do you know you can proclaim the gospel in a baseball game? You can proclaim the gospel at the racetrack. You can proclaim the gospel at work. Notice that. He went wherever they were and proclaimed the gospel. It goes on. And look what it says he did. It says, teaching and preaching. Teaching and preaching. There is a difference in teaching and preaching. Jesus did both. Jesus went, and it says that as he went to every one of them, he went into their synagogues and proclaiming, uh, teaching, and preaching is the phrase that the, uh, that the King James uses. Uh, and the word uh, preaching means to proclaim or to herald. The word teaching uh, is, uh, is a different word. Uh, and uh, preaching always includes teaching, but teaching doesn't necessarily always include preaching. Okay? And then it says, not only that, but look at that last phrase. It says what he was preaching was the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. Folks, if we're going to live and think like missionaries, and we live in a mission-minded world. I didn't hear anybody. Nobody got up and walked out when I said we live in a post-Christian time. We don't live in a Christian society anymore. If we don't live in a Christian society, then we don't need to act like we live in a Christian society. We need to act like we live in a mission field. And we do that by proclaiming the gospel in the cities and the villages, teaching and preaching. We see this, this passage. It tells us the message delivered. Second thing I want you to see about living like a missionary. Not only do we see the message he delivered in this passage, but I, you, you also see his motive. Look at the motive to us uh, that's described. In verse 35, it says, He went out and he healed every disease and every affliction. He went out and he healed uh, what was there. We, we see his methods. He healed their, their, their infirmities. Now, let me, let me make sure you understand what I mean by that in the area of living like a missionary. I'm not expecting you to go out and to heal all their infirmities. Although maybe I should, because Jesus said, 
you will do greater things than I did. But here's the point. What those people needed was their needs met. I won't focus too much on just the healing aspect of it. They needed their that what, what, what he did was he met their needs, and in meeting their needs, he proclaimed the gospel. You see what I'm saying? If all you're doing is proclaiming the gospel, it will most likely fall on deaf ears. It's really hard to tell a hungry man how much... Jesus loves him. It's really hard to tell somebody who is living under a bridge somewhere. And folks, there's a lot of them in our community. You don't even see them. They're everywhere. It's really hard to tell somebody who all they have for a roof over their head is a $7 tarp from Harbor Freight, how much Jesus loves them. It's really hard to tell somebody who's having to go around behind restaurants and climb in and out of dumpsters to find their next meal, how much Jesus loves them. Jesus met their needs. Listen, do you know what missionaries do when they go on to the field? They go into villages and they find these villages and whatever, if they go into that village and that those people in that village are having to go way up on a mountainside somewhere and carry water. Do you know what they help them do? Dig a well. They help meet the need. If they're having a problem with disease and sickness, do you know what they do? They get them medical care. If they're hungry, they get them food. Folks, they meet their needs. Let me tell you one other thing. I, I probably should have said this while I'm talking about what missionaries do and how they act. Do you know one of the other the, the one of the first things before they ever get there? Do you know what they have, what they do? Let's just let's just say you're going to a little country somewhere in Africa that speaks Afrikaans. Do you know what you do before you get there? You learn Afrikaans. You don't go there and speak English and expect them to learn your language. You go there and you speak their language. Folks, we're going out into a lost and dying world speaking church talk and then under, not, can't figure out why they don't understand what we're talking about. See, we stand up in, in church and we sing, and I love that song, please don't stop singing it. Uh, you know, I love the song, Oh, the Blood. But you, know, you go around in some places and say, you know, what you really need to do is be washed in the blood. 
That's probably the last conversation you had with them because they think you're nuts. Learn their language. We speak their language. We meet them where they are. Jesus went out to their cities and villages and He healed them. What they needed was healing. Listen, in that day and age, there was rampant disease. There were birth defects. You see all the the, the cripple and the blind and the deaf and uh, you see all the all the affirmities uh, that that are listed. It was a it was a common thing, and so that was a need. Medical care, what well, you know, you know, we can't afford it. They didn't have it, you know. And, and but he went out and met their needs where they were, and then preached the gospel. Folks, look. Let me let me give give you you know. And and I mentioned Jeff's book a while ago. I had the privilege several months ago to sit uh, and, and listen to Jeff talk for a little bit. And um, don't don't want to still you know plagiarize or still. But one of the things he talks about, he he lays out a couple examples. But basically, he says one of the greatest places we have to minister, and he gives several specific examples. But I'm gonna sum it up in one word: in disaster. When somebody's hurting. When you see them flowers on your neighbor's front door, and those signs at the end of the street that says slow funeral, there's an opportunity to minister and to meet a need. Go mow a yard. Or take them a casserole, if you can cook. If you can't cook, water their flowers. <laughs> yeah. If you can't cook... Go to KFC. Yeah, something. Meet a need. A friend of mine hooked me up in the last few weeks. Um, and uh, anybody who feels real froggy and wants to plant some around here, I can still get them. Um, with a, a greenhouse down in Union County that is changing over from Lassie. And they got all kinds of uh, annual flowers. Matter of fact, anybody that wants them, if you want them, let me know. As long as you're not going to resell them. And, and a friend of mine went and got a bunch of them. And he took them, and he went and took them out to one of his neighbors. And he says, I've been trying to witness to this neighbor forever. And he says, I couldn't get a word in edgewise. But I knew he worked in his yard all the time. I knew he really took care of his yard. He kept it neat. He kept it clean. He took care of his flower beds. And so I got some of those flowers, and I took them down there, and I gave them to him. And he didn't lead him to the Lord, but he said I had a 15-minute conversation with him. He said, more time than I've talked to him, all put together because of a few flowers. Meet a need. That's thinking like a missionary. Live like a missionary. Jesus met their needs. You see the method that He used. Not only do we see the method, but here's why. Look at the motive. The motive is discovered here in verse 36. When He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Here is the million dollar question for the church of Jesus Christ in a post-Christian, 
mission world. Do we have compassion? Our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers are going to die and spend an eternity in hell, separated for an eternity from Jesus Christ. Do we have compassion? The word that is used there for compassion is means very simply it was a guttural response. Does it make us sick to our stomach to know that all around us people are living their life absent of peace and joy absent of hope, absent of Jesus Christ, doomed eternally to die separated from Jesus Christ. That should make the church, that should, that makes mission-minded people sick on their stomach. What do you think makes a man like Aaron Brendel, who, again, who will be here in a few weeks, pack up his wife and children, leave the comforts of Concord, take them to Pakistan. Get kicked out of Pakistan, have to go stay in India while his wife and children are still in Pakistan. You know what causes a man, a woman, a family to do something like that? They have a gut hurt for the lostness of man. They don't look at people and say, you know, we really need more people in our church. You know, we need a bigger offering. You know, we need a bigger building. You know, we need a youth program or a children's program. Or we need, you know, we no, no. They don't look at it as we need anything. They look at those people and say they need Jesus. Can I be very just brutally honest with you today? The problem with the church in America is we don't have compassion. It doesn't make us sick to our stomach to think that our loved ones and our friends and our family are lost. Have you ever got one of those phone calls? 
And on the other end of the call, they said something like this, hurry to the hospital. Your child, your mother, your father, your husband, your wife, hurry to the hospital. They've been in an accident. Something's happened. They've they've passed out at work. Hurry to the hospital. You know that feeling? Some of you know it all too well. You know that feeling? You know what I'm talking about? This is yes, this is no. You know that feeling? I submit to you this morning that as Christians, we ought to get that same feeling when we think about the millions. And I mean millions who are dying, who are living lost. Jesus was moved by compassion. He wasn't trying to fill up heaven. He wasn't trying to build a great big following. He wasn't trying to build an earthly kingdom. He was moved by compassion. It made him sick to the stomach to realize the fate, the future that those people were facing. It motivated him. You see the message, the method, the motive. Finally, there's one last thing in this passage I want you to see. The mandate. Look what he says. You know this passage. He says he turns to his disciples and he tells them the harvest is plentiful. Laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Do you you find that passage, that response even remotely interesting? Jesus didn't turn to his disciples and say, Now, go on, get busy. Wouldn't that be be what you'd expect to happen after what we just read? Now, you've seen what I did. You've seen how I treated it. Now, go on, you get busy and do what I did. But instead... After all of that, he turns to his disciples and says, Listen, man, the fields are white to harvest. There's people everywhere who need Jesus. There are people everywhere who need to hear the gospel. Now go and pray that God would send somebody to the harvest. Why would he say that? Why wouldn't he send them? Why did he say, pray that God would send somebody to the harvest? Why did he say, anybody want to take it? I'm not going to beat you up if you don't get the answer I'm looking for. I have a specific thought in my mind. I want to see if anybody else thinks the way I think, which may be really scary. Sort of. You're, you're, you're You're warm enough. You're close enough. 
She didn't hear what Musa said. She said, send me. How can I pray, Lord, send harvesters into the field if I won't go? How can I send harvesters into the field if I won't go? When I was in management at the bakery, I used to tell the other managers, "Says y'all have a problem," so, and several of them did. I said, "Your employees know you're scared to run a route. You're scared to get on a bread truck and do their job, and because of that, they own you." You ask anybody who worked for me, and they will tell you I wasn't scared to run their route. In fact, I'd rather run their route because if I wasn't running their route, they'd think Marita would think up something crazy for me to do. If I was on a route, at least I knew I, they couldn't bother me. I could run their route, and I could run it better than they could, and they knew it. And if I had to fire them or if they quit, so be it. Anybody ever work for somebody who wouldn't do what they ask you to do? You ever work for somebody who you knew they wouldn't ask you to do something they wouldn't do their self? That they would? I'm going to tell you something. I've never been on a work site with Tommy Anderson, I don't think. I've been around his shop out there. But here's what I do believe 100%. I think the same thing of Kenny over there. I guarantee you had neither one of these men ever ask one of their employees to do something that if their employee didn't do it, they say, well, get out of the way, I'll do it myself. Which explains why both of them walk with a limp. I guarantee you the people that work at our car know that if they wouldn't do their job, Tommy would get rid of them, he'd just do it himself. I don't know about little Tommy. I hope he learned it from his daddy. Listen, I can't pray for harvesters if I don't go be a harvester myself. Folks, We don't live in a Christian society anymore. I don't know if we ever will again. I don't know. I'm going to be very honest. I don't have a lot of hope that we will ever see the United States be a Christian society again. It can happen, don't get me wrong. God can, it could happen. But I think, just to be blunt, we have swirled way too far down to Tullet to come back now. We have elected lunatics to be our leaders. We have put in 
absolutely crazy laws and rules. We have allowed morality to go out the window. We have allowed immorality to reign. It hasn't just been accepted, but it is celebrated. We don't live in a Christian world, in a Christian nation. I'm going to speak for the I can't speak for everybody else. We've got people from all over the world that watch us online. I can't speak for everybody's country, but I can speak for mine. And we don't live in a Christian country anymore. Let me be really, really blunt and narrow-minded with you. We don't live in a Christian county anymore. We don't live in a Christian city anymore. Folks, when our vice president gets out and marches in a gay pride parade, we don't live in a Christian society. We've got to start living like missionaries. You may as well be in Tanzania or Pakistan or Thailand. That's the world we live in. And if we're going to do anything and shine the light into this darkness, we're going to have to learn to live like missionaries. God, give me the mind of a missionary. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. Can I tell you this morning, that's an unpleasant thought for me. I don't like thinking. And I don't like remembering. And I don't like seeing what has come of our nation, of our morals. I don't like seeing what has happened in my lifetime. that I can make like an ostrich and stick my head in the ground and pretend it's not happening. Or I can get up off my lazy seat of do nothing and go out and live like a missionary. I guarantee you this, if you ever meet one of our foreign missionaries, you'll meet somebody who is not lazy. Lord, give me the heart, give me the mind of a missionary. You're here today and you know Christ. He's your Savior. God, help me to meet needs. Open my eyes. Let me see where, where the, the need is, where the hurt is. If they need flowers for their flower bed, if they need a meatloaf, if they need air in their tire. They need some groceries. God, let me see that. Help me to see that need. And, and give me the... And here's what I've realized. Most of us see the need. We just, we just don't do anything. God, 
God, help me to see the need and meet the need. While I'm meeting the need, tell them about Jesus. God, make our church a missionary church. You know, used to you'd see that in the name of church signs. Such and such missionary Baptist church. God, make our church mission-minded. Make our, hey, let me give you one. Let me give you one. Listen to me. Pray. Lord, make our pastor mission-minded. Make our deacons mission-minded. You're here today and you don't know Christ. You're watching us online. Listen, I want to tell you what Jesus told those people. Jesus told them the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. The good news is this. Jesus Christ came to earth, died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, resurrected in three days, gave His life, shed His blood so that you could be forgiven and you could be set free. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, come and let me show you from God's Word. Can I challenge you this morning as a church? Would you join me this morning here at the front? Would you kneel together? Lord, make us mission-minded. We're going to pray and we're going to sing. Would you step out and would you begin today praying, God, make us missionaries in our world. Would you step out this morning? Would you come? Right up here, right up front. Stand for the world to see. I want to be mission-minded. Father, I thank you for the words you've given us today. God, we didn't look at a disciple. We didn't look at one of the many characters in Scripture. We looked at your precious Son. Who showed us, who taught us how to be mission-minded. how to care about those around us, how to meet their needs and preach the gospel. God, I pray this morning that the church today would be a turning point in the ministry and the life of this church. God, we know that in the last year, many things in our society have changed. God, one of the things that has to change in our churches, one of the things that has to change in our lives is we have to realize we're in a post-Christian world. We have to be mission-minded. God, help us to do that. This morning, I pray, Lord, that we'll commit to that as a church body, as a church family. We'll give you the honor for what you do, for which in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. As we stand together.